I'm going to begin in Daniel chapter 2. A little bit of an interlude to our recalibration, but I still think it fits our theme. By the way, we welcome a couple of guests today. We have Jessica visiting us. Uh, I think your connection with us was through the the group that meets with David and those guys and also friends of yours, so you're welcome. And uh, Mike Dow is visiting us today. Uh, He's connected with our work. You know, he started with us and then felt uh, led of the Lord to move to Orlando and do something similar there. And so there's a, we feel like there's a, a vital and also a, a very intentional connection between us. So that's the nature of his visit. He's just really here to hang out, but to keep that connection, right? So Mike, thanks for doing that. Mike totally took the initiative uh, to come up here. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is he was uninvited. And, um, <laughs> no, not, he did take the initiative, but more than welcome. More than welcome to come. I just, okay. I'm blessed that he did take the initiative is my point, but then I couldn't uh, resist the temptation to joke around. So anyway, Daniel chapter 2. Our, our role, our goal here is to identify the role of the church as kingdom people. Uh, in the world, specifically as that issue is heightened during a controversial political season. What is our role in a setting like that? Uh, I believe the book of Daniel was written partly to answer that question, even largely to answer that question, in a very specific Jewish way, but of course the principles apply. So I'm looking to Daniel to set that ball rolling before we speak in the counsel of the Lord. And when we do, too, we don't just want to have... Uh, you know, a, a freewheeling discussion according to our opinions. We want everything to be tempered and submitted to the Spirit and to be speaking quality spiritual words when we do discuss things so that together we're helping one another and encouraging one another. Define our role as the church at times like these, but anytime. And so I have what I feel like the Lord gave me very clear, powerful uh, words to kick that off. But we begin in Daniel 2. Verse 19, okay? So, Daniel 2.19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, because wisdom and power belong to Him. It is He who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings. And He establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is He who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with Him. To You, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, because You have given me wisdom and power. Even now, You have made known to me what we requested of You, for You have made known, or let me say that a little more emphatically, for You have made known to us the matter of the King. And so, Father, we pray right now to the very same God of this text and these heroes of the faith, our legacy, 
We ask you, O God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of the prophets, and the God of those who have called upon your name, the God of those who have given their life for Jesus, the God of those who serve him day and night, the one and only God, the sovereign, the king, Yahweh, and his son Jesus, king of kings, and Lord of lords, and maker of heaven and earth, and the Holy Spirit who dwells with us, on us and in us, and broods over creation, even as He fills the new creation with glory. And He shall when He raises the dead. To you, O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give thanks and praise. And we appeal to you for this very same wisdom. That you would release the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of you, God. Even as you've stirred our hearts that our, that our tongues might become the pens of ready writers. Lord, that we might release the, the creativity of your kingdom. Lord, we pray that it would be prophetic, that it would be anointed, that it would be the wisdom of the prophets, that it would be knowledge, it would be the knowledge of the sages who are holy, who know their God and perform exploits, Lord. We're not just looking to paint pictures to, to hang on walls but to express very God in the world that He made and to bring about the, the vision of God, the vision of Your sovereignty and of Your beauty and of the, the glory of Jesus who saves and heals and recreates people and accomplishes God's purpose in this creation. To this end, we're asking for Your wisdom and revelation that we might all be prophets and prophetic. Jesus is King. Voroch namam and he's crowned with many crowns. He comes back with the sovereignty of all nations. Every nation will have a crown, which Jesus wears when he returns. He's the king of Mexico and of uh, all of the North and South Americas. He's the king of the, 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 uh, the, the Southeastern Asian nations of all nations, Latin and European. Jesus is king and Lord of all. And he's the ruler and shall be the ruler. And in His name we pray, because He's worthy. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Eyes of fire. Wow. Praise God. So I'm going to get through this very quickly here, okay? From Daniel's point of view, we have uh, four... I'm identifying four mandates, and I'm going to add one from Paul. We have five mandates in order to be God's people in our world. To have our identity and our roles defined properly so we can relate to our world the right way because we're relating to God first the right way. So I'm seeing five mandates that constitute our identity and our role. Now each one of these mandates is actually describing our identity first. So it's not mandating something that we can't accomplish. The mandate identifies something that is already ours naturally in Christ. But as is the nature of the New Covenant and New Testament theology, and I mean that in the Holy Spirit way, not the academic way, whatever God makes us to be and to do, He then commands us to do. So amen in the Spirit, it's our joy to respond naturally to what God says, but what He created us to do and to be, He then commands us because we have to partner with Him, even in the outworking of our own nature. Or else it doesn't happen. It lies dormant. We still have to obey commands in the New Covenant. Even in the Old Covenant, in the First Covenants, when God speaks to Adam and Eve and says, be fruitful and multiply, well, He put in them a very natural inclination to do that, but still commands it and blesses to do it. So that's the nature of these mandates that I'm identifying here. And the first one, the first four we see in Daniel, the first one I'll identify is this. 
We have a mandate for the prophetic vision. We have a mandate from God to be prophetic and to have prophetic vision. Specifically, according to what we just read, uh, and, and remember the context in which we're saying this, it's for the sake of our identity and role to the nations and cultural engagement, whatever we say there. In order to do that properly, we have to have a vision that's prophetic of God's sovereignty. We must see God as the sovereign over the nations or else we won't relate properly to the nations and to the world. We will feel out of control or we'll feel like we have too much control and we'll be afraid when things shift. We, and so when I'm saying we, we, it's not enough to have a proper theology that God sits on the throne, we have to have a prophetic vision so it's something that's in our spirit under the anointing of God. Like Daniel had a breakthrough moment to see something he already knew theologically as a good Jew. But now a Jew in Babylon has to know that Yahweh is still Lord. Okay, think about this. You know, Daniel was ripped out of his homeland where land, temple, and people all represented God himself. And here the Babylonians have... uh, Of course, we understand they were the instrument of God's judgment, but that's not clear in the emotional moments of everything becoming dissolved. And is God still the Lord? His temple is gone? (laughs) Of all things? His land? I mean, we most live now outside of the land to this day, thanks to these days. And here's a Jew in Babylon. Can I even be a good Jew in Babylon? You know, is it enough to keep kosher? There's no sacrifices? What do I do? Well, Daniel's book is written to help answer that for Jews. But one of the things God showed him is, hey, I'm still in control of this universe. And God gave Daniel a vision of that so that whatever Daniel does in Babylon, he does with a prophetic conviction that Yahweh is sovereign over all and that has never changed. So now Daniel is deeply connected to that and so should we be. I know we have a role as citizens of this nation to contribute to who's our leader and who is and our leaders and who are not. I understand that. And I understand that there's influence in other ways. But at the same time, intention with that is the fact that God ultimately is accomplishing his plan and raising up leaders and setting down leaders, and we should have a fluid continuity from season to season because we have a vision that Yahweh is king overall. We should not be shaken by any shifts or changes in the political scene. Because our politic is a theocracy, Yahweh is king. So we have to have a prophetic conviction that keeps us strong and capable to respond to our world that way. By the way, Daniel was one of the most powerful people in Babylon. He did a lot of good for that pagan nation. He loved them. He loved this king who was terrible at times. still cared for him. So he was able to be salt and light and to be culturally engaged, but only because he was free from Babylon. And his freedom came, I'm, I'm suggesting, uh, largely through this, this personal vision as a prophet that Yahweh is king and he's raising and putting down kings according to his plan. And that's the other element very quickly I want to talk about. That our prophetic vision should understand that God is doing something in the world. Okay, God's main purpose is not to make America the greatest nation that ever existed. Whether we believe that or not, that, that's not his ultimate plan. That may be part of his plan for a season, maybe for a long season. I don't, I'm not against those things. 
But God's plan is to recreate everything in Christ. God's doing that plan and He'll never stop doing it. So that plan continues from season to season. That's a part of His sovereignty. That's another thing Daniel was seeing here. Is that Yahweh's plan keeps trucking through. It's cracking on. That's not stopping. And we see that going. I mean, I believe the Magi that came to Jerusalem hundreds of years after this and bore witness, these were from the east, these were pagan, well, formerly pagan Gentile people who testified to the king of the Jews. We see his star. from. We were in the east. We saw his star. We've come to worship him. I believe they're part of Daniel's legacy. The only other time you read of Magi is in Daniel's prophecy. They were part of the the wise men casts of uh, you know the, the king's courtiers or whatever you know part of the astrology and priestly pagan practices. There was this group called the Magi that I believe got a legacy from Daniel the prophet and were Yahweh worshippers and knew when the Messiah was being born. All those hundreds of years later, I mean God accomplishes His plan no matter what we're ruining, and we need a vision and a confidence in that. Amen. The second mandate. Okay, the first mandate's the. The, the, the mandate of the prophetic vision. The second mandate is the mandate of the primary mission. We, we are mandated to remain on the mission that God has us on in this world that never changes, no matter what the p- political climate. I mean, we live in a time where more martyrs have shed blood than all of history, the rest of history combined. So even under duress, the mission must continue. And that is always our primary Responsibility. Now, Daniel was in crisis. He did not ask to get sent as a missionary to Babylon. It was judgment. It was warfare. There were many innocent people who lost their lives in chaos. The Babylonian war machine was very ugly. It was, it was, um, it was very uh, arrogant. It was selfish. It was violent. It, it, it mocked and scoffed, scoffed the, the gods and the people of their gods in different nations, including Israel. This wasn't just some nice little story. This was a very ugly, traumatic time in history. And Daniel was right in the middle of it, ripped right out of his own heritage, his own people, his own land, and just thrown in Babylon and said, here, learn the language. We're going to rename you Belteshazzar, after our gods. And we're going to just use you for our purposes, in spite of where you've come from. We're going to, you know. And there were other things probably done to Daniel that weren't very pleasant to keep him loyal to the king. That's, I think, implied, and it doesn't come out and say it, but it's like he remained single his whole life. And so he wasn't, he he didn't get a call that he answered and got on a ship. He was ripped in times of crisis, but he still saw himself as a man with an assignment. And we, we are mandated to have a sense of assignment. We are on a mission no matter what is happening Around us, of course, the New Testament clearly, Jesus clearly gives us the Great Commission, which should continue under all circumstances. Now, my point isn't to just remind us of these things, but to remind us that we're mandated with these things, that they should be in our hearts, no matter what's happening around us, because this whole political season has polarized Christians. We've come out on radically two different sides or more. At times, I don't mean just we, we, I'm not even sure what everybody here thinks on the surface. And I'm not terribly concerned about that. Just what you read on social media or hear from people on the news or whatever. This, this, um, 
th this election cycle, of course, you know, is incredibly polarizing. So these are the things we should have a deep unity over that takes care of the rest. This mission. And the mission is granted to us again every political shift that occurs. Any change of the season. The same assignment gets reassigned. So we have to view ourselves this way. Because I believe this is the way Daniel viewed himself. It's like, okay, we have a change here. And then Daniel was given vision to other changes that his own life lasted through. Going from one empire to the other, he remained a powerful person going from Babylon to Persia and then saw into the future beyond that. He saw into Greece and then the four kingdoms, maybe five that came out of that Grecian empire and then beyond that to Rome. So he lived during some, he saw through the others, but each time he's like, I have an assignment during this season. There's a shift now and I have an assignment. I'm God's man here. I have a witness here. I'm going to prophesy. I'm going to pray. I'm going to engage when I need to. I'm going to do my job in, in, in the meantime. There's a sense of assignment. So we should have a sense of assignment. It's like whatever the, 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 uh, the end result of the election is. It's like, all right, here's our assignment again. Let's do this for the church. As you'll see in a minute, we're not under the rule of anyone else, ultimately. So we'll just crack right on. We have to have a vision of that. We can't cower under the political shifting. So we're mandated with primary mission. We're also mandated with independence. But here's what I mean by that. I don't mean independence from God, quite the opposite. I mean independence from the spirit of the world. Daniel had a strong independence from the spirit of Babylon, which, by the way, freed him up to serve and love Babylon with all of his heart. And he never compromised one bit. And the reason why he didn't compromise is because he was free from Babylon. So he could serve Babylon without disrupting his loyalty to his heavenly king. Daniel resolved. He determined in his heart that he would not eat the king's food. And for him, that was a spiritual resolution. He was not merely keeping kosher. He was saying, I'm not going to let the delicacies of this empire's table enter my spirit so that I, whether it's pleasure or it's income or it's my my soul in this world, I don't want to depend on the king for my well-being. And I don't want to have a secret delight on his table so that if he threatens to take it away, a piece of me goes with it. And now I can't serve the king of heaven because the king of Babylon has taken something away from me. He, he resolved when he was still very young at the beginning of his tenure. And he saw in his spirit I'm not going to fight you renaming me after your God. He did not see that as a problem. Call me what you want. Like, I'm not going to be named after that pagan God. It's like, no, he didn't make a choice there to, to fuss with that. Nor even going to school for three years to learn all of their writings and their language. You hear no outcry from that. Because he didn't discern that those were going to compromise him. But the eating of the food he discerned would get inside his spirit. Because it represented the king saying, come on, buddy, need me, love my table, get into this a little bit, your, the income, the power, your tax-free status or whatever. Love that, depend on it, so you can't be fully loyal to the Jewish God when I threaten anything. Daniel's like, no, I can't go there. And by the way, this was not a public posture. Only the guard knew about it. This was something between him and God. He even said, 
God will keep us strong. You test us and see if we're still bulky after you fed us only vegetables. Because it wasn't even going to be known to the king. It wasn't even a public stand like later he took. It was private, mostly. Devotional before the Lord. So he resolved before the Lord and he resolved in public, I'm not going to eat the king's food. Like, you know, when he prayed, uh, even though prayer became illegal, he continued to pray publicly. So there was public stance, but this was a private devotional thing. There was independence from Babylon. I hope that makes sense. And therefore, under duress, he was free to engage his culture and resist his culture whenever either one was the appropriate thing to do. Because he was free. It's like whatever God wants. You take away my prayer life, I'm going to keep praying. I don't need this nation to affirm me. But if that's not the condition of my surroundings and I can serve and... You know, Daniel's loyalty caused new laws at times. Well, he was free to do that because he was free. Uh, he was independent of Babylon. It reminds me of it reminds me of uh, uh, Reinhard Bonnke's statement when he says, "I'm immune to criticism because I'm immune to praise." I don't need you to to affirm me. So then, when you put me down, it doesn't bother me. It's a similar pattern. And then, fourthly, Daniel had a mandate of intercession, and so should we. So we're mandated to resolve we won't eat the king's food. We don't have secret dependencies upon the state so that if if, if things shift around us, we're going to shift with it. Okay, we need that independence. But we also need the mandate of intercession, and you'll notice a little rhythm here, mandate of prophetic vision, mandate of primary mission, some of that creativity, Mike. Then a mandate of independence and a mandate of intercession that's to help rap, you remember. That's, <laughs> that's but see, that's the Lord giving that to you. I'm not getting a rap right now. I know you want a rap. You do. <laughs> that vision we read at the beginning, Daniel got because he prayed for breakthrough. So he was in prayer when when all the wise men were threatened with death because they could not retell the king's dream and the interpretation. Daniel bought time and just went to pray. He was a praying man from the beginning. It's funny though, it wasn't just a dedication to prayer, it was to save his neck that this first prayer meeting was called. And uh, to say, and, and he was also concerned of other lives being lost. Um, so he wasn't praying for a prophetic ministry to be born. He wasn't praying for his ministry to be established. He was praying, God, give us this vision so that we don't perish. So, it, you know, sometimes the pressure comes and it, it's supposed to teach us to pray. And God's saying, if you can't pray under pressure, then you can't pray. So learn to pray. That's sometimes one of the reasons why God allows a bunch of pressure in our lives so that we will learn to pray and to connect with God. And God will prove that by saying, okay, look, you are praying so that you'd be saved. I'm going to give you the panorama of history in a vision. How's that sound? You're praying for your lives. I'm going to give you the picture of my purpose all the way to the coming again of Christ. How's the second coming? When you get the whole thing, Daniel 9 and the, the, the years of the Messiah. I mean, this is extraordinary, born in a prayer meeting that was all called to save the lives of these four men and others that were wise men in Babylon. So there's your mandate to pray, but it still represents something. Um, 
Daniel wasn't just being selfish. He was still praying for his own rescue out of a spirit of submission. He was willing to serve the Lord, whatever the circumstances. But still the emotional pressure was teaching him to cry out to God. So we have a mandate to pray. Daniel prayed then beyond that prayer meeting. He also prayed in Daniel 9 for Israel. And he prayed about God's eternal plan. Just like we're taught over and over and over and over again in the New Testament, yet most Christians hardly ever think about, let alone talk about God's eternal plan. And for Paul, it's the main thing that he teaches us to pray and that he prays about. And Jesus too, thy will be done. Which we think is generic. It's not generic. It's a pray for the plan. And first it's a prayer mandate and then it becomes a physical mandate. And then finally, Paul's apostolic wisdom gives us one mandate I'm going to identify very quickly. Daniel's prophetic wisdom, four mandates. Paul's apostolic wisdom, one mandate that I'm going to identify. And that's the mandate of judgments. We have a mandate from God to make judgments. Now, I don't mean it in the negative way of Matthew 7 when we're judging and being critical. The word can be used that way in Scripture. The word can also be used to mean the decrees of God. To be in agreement with His decrees. And to issue those through prayer. Uh, for Paul in 1 Corinthians, church discipline was an issue. Just the way we conduct ourselves, we're making judgments. But here's why I'm bringing this up, for a couple of reasons. One, Paul says, when the Corinthians were suing one another and taking one another to law court, he says, don't you know that you will judge the world? Don't you know you will judge angels one day? Is there no one there wise enough to judge between brother and brother? Whatever the, the, the civil suits had to do with. The point was, Paul saw the Christians internally as capable of doing something the world simply cannot do for them. So Paul was shocked. And it's very difficult in English to see it. But in Greek, it's the language of absolute shock. Something to the effect of, when he starts that passage, how dare you go to unbelieving judges? You're better off getting sued to the teeth and losing everything than taking your judgment issues to those judges. They're the unrighteous. And you're submitting to their judgments. Earlier he says, if you're spiritual, no one judges you. But the spiritual person judges everything. But he himself is judged by no one. Where is that? We, in, in, the, in the Jesus way, even now, we rule with him. We're seated with him in heavenly places. Why do we submit to human judges? Why do we submit to what the vote result is and who's in the leadership? I mean, submissively in terms of Romans 13, we obey our laws that are in agreement with God's. We have a, a, a gentle attitude. We obey authorities in the right way. I don't, I'm not questioning that. That's not the realm I'm talking about. I'm talking about the state of our heart and the way we rule through intercession and gospel and just our lives as the church, which is a huge part of our intercession. Just the way we conduct ourselves, when we do it as the house of the Lord with integrity, we are bringing God's kingdom, which is his dominion. It's his rulership. Then when the gospel is preached, there's judgment against the enemy and the justice of forgiven souls, etc., etc. Yet we have subtly submitted to the unrighteous judges of the world. We have to retake our judgment mandate. And we judge, 
not out of the flesh when we're mad at somebody, you know, we just, the Jesus way. Within the church, intercession, gospel preaching, but the, these are the things that rule the world right now. Let alone our, the, when we're, you know, when we're in the place of intercession, dictating the things that happen in the world by praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So how shall we judge now then? We build the house of the Lord, proclaiming the gospel. We make spiritual judgments in the spirit and our intercession moves mountains and then our obedience walks through the places that the removed mountains open up for us. That's powerful judgment. It's like we're God's house. We're we're the ones that should be joined with our sovereign and in control. It has a meek face. It's all love. It's all glowing love and building family. It looks so sweet, but it's still running the world. Happier the meek, they will inherit the earth. Where has that gone? Where's our sense of authority gone? That we're so, I I understand. We should understand issues and, and influence the right way. But when this, this disparity happens in our hearts and in our churches, it's just saying we don't have authority. We've submitted to unrighteous judgments. And I think the wisdom of an apostle would say, brethren, these things ought not to be. And that's all I have. And I I went kind of long. Sorry. But we're still able...